Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Carl Taylor Show and I am your host, Carl Taylor. It's great to be here and coming into your ears. Now, today's episode is an episode that I recorded with Ronsley Vaz, who's actually become a really close friend of mine. And uh, this was recorded for his podcast called Bond Appetit. Highly recommend checking out that show. And in this particular episode, it was recorded a few years ago, about 2018. And we really delve into a bunch of different topics that entrepreneurs face. Uh, in particular, we spend a lot of time talking about the power of being a generalist. And we start the episode by tackling a pretty big topic of the value of being prolific versus the value of being perfect. That's, it can be quite a big argument, right? Like, do you want to be prolific and just create lots and lots of content? Or do you want to be perfect, a bit of a perfectionist and only release amazing content? And uh, so we start the episode tackling that particular topic. We go into a bunch of different things. We talk a bit about my story. We talk about my agency. This is a great episode for every entrepreneur to listen to. So delve in, strap yourself down and enjoy this amazing episode with myself and Ronsley Vaz. Calling all entrepreneurs, small business owners, lifelong learners, and people of earth, I'm calling you to step up into the greatest version of you, a happier you, a healthier you, a more loving you, a you that is truly feeling healthy, fulfilled, and alive. My name is Carl Taylor, and I've been building businesses since I was 15 years old. And the one thing that has always, always stood out to me is that running your own business, no matter how successful or not, will be the best personal development journey you ever ever go on. And so in this show, I share with you some of the most important lessons that I've learned and continue to learn on my journey in the hope that it may help you guide you in yours. You're listening to The Carl Taylor Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Bond Appetite. Here, we fuse conversation with entrepreneurial expertise. My name is Ronsley and I'm the founder of Amplify, the first audio marketing agency in the world and the host of Australia's first podcasting conference, We Are Podcast. Each week, I will be interviewing unique entrepreneurs on how they are achieving freedom in their business. So, here's to you bonding with us over the freedom of entrepreneurship. Bond Appetite. Welcome to this week's edition of Bond Appetit. Our host, Ronsley Vass, sits down with Carl Taylor, a highly regarded entrepreneurship mentor and overall walking, talking success story. We talk about the power of choice, how properly executed decision-making can save a product from a failed launch, keeping business ideas simplistic to prevent leaving too much room for error, and what being a generalist means in business. So grab yourself some fine china, some flatware, maybe some red wine for the antioxidants, and stay tuned. Carl Taylor, welcome to the show. How do you feel about prolific versus perfect? Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I fundamentally agree with it, but my subconscious and possibly even my consciousness at times does not agree with it. And I am able to be a perfectionist. But eventually, I usually get to a certain point where I'm like, what are you doing, Carl? Version one is better than version none. Let's just get it out there. 
but yeah, I mean, I am always in awe of people who are far more prolific than I am because there is an analysis paralysis that definitely happens in my life. So um, yeah, I, 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 I adopt it, but I wouldn't say I'm as strong at it as others. So what, what's the parts that uh, that drive you nuts? Like, I mean, uh, and, and there must be some middle ground, right? Because I, I went through something yesterday where I uh, recorded these seven videos and one of the videos was, are you being stereotypical? And uh, the word stereo in the actual video is spelled wrong. And my video guy's on holiday. So I got these messages through the day kind of going, you know, this, this spelling is wrong. And I took that and put it in the group and I kind of went, what would you guys do? Would you like take it down? Would you leave it? Or would you see, have a poll about it? And I had these varying answers to everyone that had, you know, a different opinion on the matter. So where do you sit? Like, what's the, is there a balance that you're going to strike? I think there definitely is some sort of a balance because if you are just completely prolific and putting things out without any thought of, is this actually valuable? Is there any quality in this? Mm. Then I think overall, like that is your brand, right? And you need to have a thought about what you're putting into your brand. So I think there's a balance of you don't want to be so perfect that you never launch. I mean, there's plenty of entrepreneurs I've seen throughout time who had this great idea and they work away for a year building some software or whatever it is they're doing and they never actually launch and put it out there to get feedback. I don't know if I could articulate where that line is. I know for me and for probably many creator types, we have a vision in our head of what we want. Yeah. And so if what I'm putting out there, well, actually, I'll give you an example. Yeah. So in, in our business, we, a year ago, two years ago, I don't even remember now, we launched a client portal. Yeah. So it's this, it's this web portal where clients can log in, manage their tasks and communicate with our team. Mm. The very first version of that, we got eight months in and I told the engineering team who were building it to throw it away and start again. Wow. Now, some of that was perfectionist. Mm. However, there was also strategy. I could see that if we launched with what we'd built, we were going to have all these problems. It was going to cost us more. It was going to not be a good experience. I, I used to tell uh, my engineering team, we'll have an Apple Maps experience yeah. where, I don't know if you remember, but when Apple Maps came out, it was horrible. And even longtime loving fans of Apple yeah. were at the point of going, what's going on? I might leave Apple all yeah. because of the launch of Apple Maps. Yeah. So I think there is a time when, you know, screw it, put it out is fine. But there are other times when it's like, no, this is going to potentially be strategically damaging. Uh, can you recover? Yes, but I don't know. But as I said, I don't know if I can articulate that line. Do you think you could articulate that line? I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, but I, but while you were talking, I was thinking, well, when you start off a project, do you kind of have some sort of a milestone that uh, you kind of say, well, I'm going to launch with these features. This is this is a must have. This is a nice to have. This is a if there is time to have a set of features. Yeah, but. I know for a fact that if I go 10 episodes before today, I will listen to my interview and I will go, that was rubbish, Ronsley. Like, what were you <laughs> thinking? And um, I also know that everything around me uh, from the relationships and the opportunities and the clients and everything else is because I started a podcast five years ago um, that is sort of returning on investment kind of like now. Mm. So I don't know, is this long? I mean, I, I do meet people a lot where they kind of say, what's the ROI on things? Like I want to I want to make sure that I'm putting this effort into a space where returns on investment, but 
what is does return on investment look like? Uh, whether is it, are you playing the long game? Everyone wants to play the long game, but they also want to get the short term results. So is this this balance has always been really fascinating for me because you know you don't really know how perfect your idea is until the market tells you how rubbish or good it is, you know? Yeah. Well, usually it's not perfect at the version one, right? Usually you get a lot of feedback at the beginning and you go, oh, didn't think about that. Uh, It's interesting. Like when you said that, you know, people want to play the long game, uh, like everyone wants to play the long game. I don't know if that's true. I think the smart people want to play the long game, but I, I think there's plenty of people who aren't even focused on the long game. They're just focused on the short term. Um, I've got a quote. You can probably see it behind me yeah. on my whiteboard. And it says, you know, I've got a quote here. So it's just a game. And then underneath it, I've got play the long game to win. It's to remind me that business is just a game. <laughs> and remember, the long game is how you win. Are you liking this episode? Then why not leave a short review and hit me up at carltaylor.com. Send me a screenshot of your review and I will send you a nice surprise gift. That is insane, dude, because I did not see that quote when I when I brought up the topic. So, that, uh. and, and now that I see it, um, I was like, that's crazy that I, I brought up the long game in that, in, even though we were talking about prolific, perfect. Um, but I do, I do think that prolific and perfect has a lot to do with the long uh, and, and short game because if you're trying to be perfect, you're kind of going, well, I need this to work now. Mm. As opposed to, I don't know what the response is going to be, so I have to launch with whatever I have to kind of get a response to then improve over time. Mm, definitely. And, and I think business is one of those things where a lot of people, I think, overcomplicate what's required to launch something, myself included. I'm, I'm you know, I, I throw myself in, in the ring there. I'm definitely not perfect. But like recently, for example, I, I did a, I was at an event and they said, hey, send out this email to promote. I decided I wanted to run an event and they said, okay, just send out this email. And my first instinct is, oh, but I don't have a venue. I don't know what dates. It's like, don't worry, just send that and see how many people come back saying, yes, they're interested. Yeah. And then when a whole bunch of people started coming back going, yes, I'm interested, well, then you know, it's like, okay, well, now you need to send the next email. And that in that, you'll need to at least decide dates. Don't worry about a venue, just pick some dates. It's like, oh, okay. So that took me like a day before I figured out what, what the dates I was going to yeah. uh, use were. But it, a lot of people will overcomplicate and they'll try and get all of the ducks in a row, even maybe book the venue, and then they'll launch it. And no one says they're coming and you've possibly just wasted a deposit, wasted time, all this energy. So... Yeah, I think I think business, we are in a huge opportunity, especially in today's world with tech, that you can kind of put things out there and go, hey, who wants it? I mean, crowdfunding is a perfect example of that. People now can launch entire, you know, million dollar businesses just by putting their idea out there and getting people to pre-purchase it before they've even built the product. Yeah, I mean, that's the baseline, right? When you kind of think, I mean, my biggest failure in business was when I put all this money into the restaurant, into a restaurant, into a concept that never existed, kind of going, well, this never existed. People have to eat, right? I mean, that was my logic. And, it's a sure uh, thing. It'll work. It'll work. And, uh, you know, you, you, you realize really quickly that if the market doesn't understand what you've done, there's this time and period that you got to educate them on. If you ha- you haven't found a way to pitch whatever you're doing right to the right people, especially, what a wasted effort. The product mm-hmm. market fit is such an important part of that mm-hmm. business um, t- 
timeline. And I think, uh, I, I don't know whether traditional business has ruined that because, you know, even in software development, there used to be the waterfall model. You had needed to know all the requirements before you started coding. And uh, if you didn't, then um, none of that would work. But then Agile came along and, and people also messed that up in, initially, kind of going, well, I don't need to document anything. So because I'm doing, I'm Agile. Uh, <laughs> but it's more of the iterative uh, learning that Agile brought to software development that allowed us to know a little bit more and get better and and, and do that in, in, a, in a cycle. Um, you're the tech guy. What do you tell someone like if they come to you? I mean, you've been in, you've been in business for a while now. Like, what would you say to someone? Hey, um, someone came to you. I've got this idea, Carl. Like, um, what should I do? It would depend on the idea. I think usually what I find, I'm trying to think. Like the one thing I know when when that does happen, and someone comes to me with ideas or they're planning on doing something, usually they're overcomplicating it. That's I think that's the trend I see in general is they're they're not starting with the simple steps. They're trying to do all this stuff that doesn't doesn't necessarily need to happen first. Long term, will they probably need to do it? Yes, but going back to that, usually what will happen is in the first few months or whatever, things will change. Ideas will change. And if they've set all this stuff up in the beginning, it becomes harder because they don't, there'll be more resistance to that change because they'll be like, oh, but I've spent $2,000 building this website or I've spent, I've done all these things. I'm invested in this now. Oh, I'll, I'll stick with that rather than realizing I didn't need that or I went in a different direction. So I, I think, I think the first thing is, well, if someone's going, I've got this great idea. The first thing is, well, what is a version one of that look like? And possibly even going before that, what could a version zero look like? Meaning you don't even create it. How can I get proof of concept? How can I get, how can I sell it first? Especially in business. If you, and and, you know, there's plenty of books out there that talk about market research, run a focus group, ask different people, would they buy it? The reality is, and I know you know this just as much as I, you don't know if they'll buy it until they buy it. Yeah. Plenty of people say, yep, I'm in, but then that's not an indication of buying. The only indication of buying is they bought it. They actually handed over cash and said, I'm in, here's my money. And you can always then, you know, through a pre-sale or you can always then go, thanks so much and give it back to them. Sorry, we're not ready. But the fact that they handed that cash over is the only true proof that what you've got solves a need that someone will buy. Uh, and I think a lot of people overcomplicate, set up all these things rather than focusing on how do I get at least one or two or three people to give me some money for this? That proves that I've hit at least a problem. Mm. And then the other thing too, I think about this with with automation agency. The reason that it got so well, got so strong in what we did is I spent probably the two years prior, I would go to a business mastermind and I was one of the mentors on the on the table and I would sit there and, and business owners would come to me and I'd be giving them advice and tips on their marketing and all these different things. That was market research. I didn't know it at the time, but it was all of those conversations with hundreds of business owners constantly hearing what their challenges were, hearing what they were needing, seeing where they were struggling with hiring VAs or trying to do it themselves and all these things that ultimately led to me to go, you know what, what clients really need is this. They really just need to be released from it. They need someone else who can do it. They don't want them to have to watch videos, all these things. And that's what allowed me to shape my business model to solve that problem. Sure. Um, so I think that market research just comes from conversations and speaking to potential customers or even potential people. And you'll start to see trends of problems. 
you know, well, 100%, it totally does. Like conversations is so undervalued in business. Mm. Uh, relationships are so undervalued in business, I feel. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, automationagency.com is where you got to find um, the the cool stuff that uh, Carl has built amongst other things. Um, we use uh, automation agency within Amplify for all our automation stuff um, that we need to get done and, and, and you should go and check that out. Um, but um, when you were talking earlier about doing the market research, I feel like when when you ask someone to buy something, right, and, and you kind of go, hey, I, uh, I've got this idea. I'd love to, I'd love to see whether you want it. The, the, the reason for putting the money down is more on the lines of, I value this enough for mm-hmm. me to put skin in the game. And uh, over the years doing business, I've realized doing anything for free, not that I don't want to. Uh, I would love to do stuff for free. In fact, I'm doing stuff for free all the time. This is a free piece of uh, audio that goes out and content that goes out. I do that kind of stuff all the time. But I do not think that it's valued enough for Mm. someone to take action if they have no skin in the game. And I've noticed this over and over again. I've noticed it with clients who pay us you know, $120,000 a year, if I put on a free event for those clients, they take that event for granted. Mm-hmm. And I find that insane. I mean, you obviously have stories on something like that. Oh, totally. I mean, e- even in my own experience, there have been events that I was a paying member to be a part of, masterminds and programs. And then over time, uh, I've then you know been able to be offered free to continue to come to those events. And uh, almost almost exactly the moment I stopped paying for that event, I stopped attending the event. Mm. Right, which seems crazy, but yeah. as soon as I as soon as I didn't have a monetary penalty to myself, like the the thinking was, oh, I'm paying money, I need to show up and get my value from this. Now, there's not always, I don't think there's always um, valid truth in that either. I think that can be scary in that. I would show up to talks because it's basically it's a conference which had lots of multiple speakers. And I would sometimes show up to a talk that had no relevance to me. I didn't need to know it. It was kind of showing up and learning just in case rather than I need this. Um, But it was because, oh, well, I've paid for it. I need to get my value from it. And so I think that that is too far that way, the wrong way of just because I've paid for it, I have to take value from this. Sometimes it's just like, no, it's not useful to me. But then to instantly, as soon as I stopped paying, I literally stopped showing up unless I was speaking or I was mentoring or in some way, I just stopped showing up. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the events became less valuable. I just treated it differently in, in how I, I perceived the, the value of those days. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because when you were talking about that, it, it, it reminded me the first time I uh, bought a business class ticket and I wanted to eat everything that was given to me, even though I was full, like I had no reason to, to keep eating, but it was just like, but well, I paid for this, right? I, mm. I need to, I need to, and, and then over time you realize that buying a business class ticket is not about the stuff that you get on the plane. It is the ability for you to adjust to a new time zone by sleeping in a way that doesn't let you get uncomfortable. And it's like this, it's this really weird moment when you realize that it's got nothing to do with um, the slippers or the tea or the the drinks or the food or on any of that. And it's like, well, how much of that kind of stuff has has been um, 
first of all, do we take for granted? Uh, mm. and, and, and we have these ego metrics around stuff that we do. Like I get asked all the time and, and for a very good reason, I haven't looked at my download stats for at least seven or eight months. It's just this weird, because I feel my brain go into this comparison cycle mm. and I don't like it. I, 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 I don't like it at all. I don't know whether it's my lizard brain or what, but it, well, you're human, We're, and and it's it's a societal thing, right? Like, how do we how do we succeed in society for thousands of years is about making sure we were a co- cohesive part of it and knowing our status of where we are that usually we want someone to be below us and then we're always trying to move up that ladder and so we're comparing ourselves constantly trying to figure out where we fit in our societal structure and uh, uh, for me it's facebook uh i i'm conscious of i spend too much time on facebook and i'm conscious of the more time i spend on facebook you know i'm connected to a number of people that you could possibly consider as competitors and every time they post something, like I have genuinely, I have this conflict. Part yeah. of me is because I, I like them as a person. Yeah. Part of me is like, oh, that's so great. And then part of me also is like, oh, look, that's what they're doing. What am I going to do to up that or make sure that we stay relevant? Which there's plenty of business out there. It doesn't matter. But it's that instinctual reaction. It mm-hmm. just, it happens. Mm-hmm. And so I find Facebook, the, the less time I spend on Facebook, like I was in Alaska recently, as yeah. you know, yeah. ba- barely on Facebook. I I was thinking probably the most clearly. I was really good. Yeah. And then since coming back, I've spent way too much time on Facebook seeing things and I've gone into that comparison mode and it has held me back on getting other things done that would be far more um, productive. Yeah, and, and, and you know what the fascinating thing is that uh, you get to a point where awareness is uh, so key and, and I think that's um, uh, probably the, the, the phase that we're in right now. We're aware about these things and and there used to be a time that it used to be subconscious it used to be like a machine it used to happen we were not aware of any of that stuff so I, I suppose I take solace in the fact that I'm aware um, mm. and uh, I do get caught up in these these weird sort of conversations that annoy me but they happen whether I you know want them to happen or not um, and then I go back to some of my truths and and some of my values and some of the stuff that I have built over time that that I feel like ground me in, in a way that uh, sort of stops the chatter anything that that helps to stop the chatter really really helps um, uh, you've been in business for a while I mean your your story is, is ridiculous from this time you started really early on like I wasn't born an entrepreneur in, according to me I was sort of something just happened that flicked a switch on one day but you've been in this space for for since you were 17 17 years for for a while um what are what are carl taylor's truths what are what are the belief systems that make you say yes or no to stuff uh opportunities you know relationships uh, conversations uh new business Mm, that's a really good question what are my truths? It's one of those things where, you know, I don't take too much time to think about these things. It's just innately in me. Mm. One thing that has become, I definitely, I mean, you talked on being born an entrepreneur. I don't, I don't think, I don't know if anyone truly is. Um, I, I don't know. I, there's questions around genetics versus nurture. And uh, I started my first business at 15 because frankly, I was bullied as a kid and I'm not a built guy. Anyone who sees me or if you see my photo, I never have been a built guy. I'm kind of skinny and scrawny. And so I I knew I was never going to be able to get back at my tormentors through fighting. 
so I, I remember in one particular instance, I was in a metalwork class. This guy had held a sharp metal thing right in front of my eye, literally millimeters from my eye. If someone had tripped me or him or anything, I could have one less eye right now. And it was, you know, I'm glossing over it, but it was highly traumatic for me. I remember w- walking out of that metalwork class and going, muttering to myself, I will own you one day. Mm. So it was my thing that drove me to business was I wanted to be rich and successful so that people like that would work for me right. and that that would be my revenge. Basically. Now, I, I can happily say I've kind of evolved from that thinking since then, but that was really what motivated me. And I, it, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I always liked creating. Before that, I wanted to be an inventor. So yeah. in some ways, I've been a creative. I like to create things. But the truth from there I think one of my first mentors, he really taught uh, this concept of the definition of a business. So I started my first business at 15, but I got my first proper mentor outside of my father who helped me at 15. My first kind of business coach when I was 20. And he kind of opened my eyes to the world of going to seminars, reading books. And so the very first mentor I had was a guy called Brad Sugars, who, who started Action Coach or Action International, as it was called back then. Right. And the Action Coach definition of a business is a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. And he gave a really great example. I remember the ver- one of the first seminars I saw him do it. He gets everyone in the room who thinks they're business owners to stand up. He's like, everyone stand up. So we all stand up. And he goes, great. So we're just going to do a quick test. As soon as I say something that isn't true for you, sit down. And he's like, so you get out of bed at 9am, a bunch of people, tradies and stuff, sit down. And you pick up the phone and you call the office. A bunch of people sit down because there's either no office or no one to call because they're calling themselves. And somebody answers that's not you. A lot of people sit down and you say, hey, it's me. And so, again, a bunch of other people sit down because they might not know. They might have a telemarketing service and, you know, answering the phone. So they don't know who me is. And then it's like and then you say, I'm going away for a while. A whole bunch more people sit down. I don't know how long till I'll be back whole bunch more people sit down. I won't have phone reception or internet. Pretty well, almost everyone's sitting down by this point. And so at that point, there's usually maybe one or two people, maybe no one in the room, because I've seen him do it a few times, standing. And he's like, this is an example of knowing where you are in your journey of removing you from your business. And that whole concept has been with me since 20 onwards. And I've really look at every, you know, one of my truths is I'm always looking at how do I remove me from this process in my business? Uh, I don't, haven't until recently done it in my personal life. I've now been a little bit more like, oh, let's apply this to personal life, things I don't like doing. But in business, I'm always, I say to my team all the time, I'm like, I'm the bottleneck in this process. How do we remove me from this? Because usually it's true. Like they're trying to do all these things and then they're sending me a message waiting for me to approve something or for me to give advice on something. And then it sits there for days because I'm busy doing other things or my head's elsewhere or whatever's happening. And I'm like, all right, I'm the bottleneck. How do we remove me from this process? And and that's what makes me turn to things like automation, people. So that's one of my biggest truths in business is how do I remove me and how do I have a true business and not a job? And I believe that there's nothing wrong with, with having a job, but there's many people in both of our worlds that they have highly paid part-time jobs, which yes. is fantastic. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's what they have is a job. Yeah. Um, whereas when you have a business that can work 100% without you, or at least, you know, I don't know if you can have any business 100% working without you unless you're purely an investor. Mm. But let's say 99, 95%, that's to me is the definition of a true business. And so I, that 
is something I keep very strong in my my mind moving forward in everything I do. Um, that's part of what controls. Will I say yes to this? Will I say no to this? Is will that put me more into my business or take me more out of my business? Will that give me more time or will it take away my time? Mm. So uh, that that's fascinating. I wrote a couple of things down, and, and I want to get back um, to that. But I want to sort of continue with uh, the flow that you have going here. When uh, you had that piece of information at twenty that uh, a business should run ninety ninety five percent without you, what was the next step from there? Like, what did you kind of go? What did you implement from that? Like, because that was obviously a big light bulb moment, a big sort of moment of pivot almost for you. What mm. happened next? So the the next part that happened there was going okay. Like in that definition, a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. One of the keywords that happened had to happen next was profitable. Mm. Right, um, I'm sure many people listening as business owners can relate to this. There are far too many businesses out there that aren't profitable. Yeah, I mean, actually, I'm frustrated that this. I had this conversation briefly on Facebook with someone the other day. Like the ridiculousness of the current state of business of people building these ridiculously valued companies which aren't profitable, and that's currently the state of people can have very successful businesses in today's world that way. But it just—I don't know—I think eventually that's all going to come crumbling down because a business should be profitable, yeah. right? It's not about building value and and losing money and burning yeah. through all this cash. The, like, yeah. In these tech companies, they have a concept known as the burn rate, how quickly they're burning through their money. Like that's just ridiculous in my view. So um, that that was the next thing was well, how do we make sure we actually go from barely paying ourselves and well, to be honest, not paying ourselves for mm-hmm. a long time yeah. to actually having a profitable company that pays other team members, but can pay us for the work we're putting in too. Totally. So I, I kind of started to learn that there was a system to business, right? That there, as I said, when when I was opened up to this world of coaching, it fundamentally changed things because all of a sudden I, I realized that business is a system. You can learn from other people. You can replicate. There are there are fundamental truths, and a lot of it comes down to numbers, right? Yeah. yeah. And so the next step there was going okay, measuring our marketing. We at the time I had an IT company with my father, and we uh, were running yellow pages online ads. Mm. And uh, the way the business coach got us actually is it was a cold call and I answered the phone and uh, he said, hey, uh, just, I don't remember exact words. It was like, hey, I, you know, I'm running this, uh, no, I noticed you've advertising in the yellow pages. How's that going for you? And I, I was like, oh yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. He's like, oh, cool. So, you know, how many, how many leads did you get this week from it? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And he had the perfect response. He goes, well, isn't that something you think you should know? <laughs> and he had me. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, after, start, you know, the first thing we did when we started working with the coach was we started testing and measuring our marketing and we very quickly realized we were wasting money on that Yellow Pages online ad because the thinking was just like, how are we going to get found if we're not? In the I mean, Yellow this Pages. Show, yeah. This shows the the, the age uh, time difference. But uh, that was our thinking. Well, if we don't have something, how are we going to be found? But the reality was we weren't being found there anyway, except by this business coach trying to cold call us. So testing and measuring and going, what marketing is working, what isn't? Mm. And if something's not working, killing it, like not being afraid to go, hey, I can save money by not spending that next year. Yeah. Um, so that was that was kind of the next stage of going, okay, we have to get serious about building a business that actually makes money. Yeah. 
so that we've got money to then employ staff. Mm. But we also got very clear on going, while even at this point where it was only my father and I, I was looking at how do we build systems? How do we, how do we take what we're already currently doing, document it so when we do bring in team members that they can do it the same way that we did? Um, and that, that's an evolving process. Was that all from the coaching? Is that that those sort of concepts started being yes. sort of put? But, but what was really interesting as well was like um, you guys said to yourselves, like if if we're not on the yellow pages, how could we get found? That's even I think that that's even an evolve like that's an evolved step from what I hear a lot. We don't need to market. We get all our people from referrals. And I'm like, that's not marketing, you jackass. That's like you just <laughs> doing your job. Like that's just like a dad saying, I take care of my kids. You're not supposed to get a cookie for that. Like that's stupid, right? Um, and and it's really interesting, the, the journey. Did you, did you always think that you had this curious part of you that allowed you to kind of learn? Because I feel like you meet a lot of people and we meet a lot of people where the cup's already full. Mm. I, it's a good question. I, I definitely, you said curious. I would definitely use that as a word of describing myself. I'm just genuinely curious about a lot of things. I'm hungry to learn. I'm reading all the time. Something fascinates me. I just start digging mm. uh, on various topics. Then tech just happens to be one that, that got me at a young age and then business and marketing and psychology. And then from there, then I've got other things that that psychology has led me down the path of looking at things like religions and all these things. Mm. But you're right. There is a there is a level of curiosity there. There is a hunger to learn that there are others in my world that don't seem to have that. Like to get them to pick up a book seems to be a chore. Yep. Whereas if someone says you should check out this book, if the subject was something that interests me, I'm there. No problem. Like, all right, let's go. Yep. You know, tell me tell me ten more books on the on the subject. Yep. So yeah, there is definitely something to do with the curiosity. But again, I, I don't know how much of that is nature versus nurture mm. because I'm, I'm highly logical. I, I, and I'm, and I'm aware of this myself. I taught myself to program at the age of 10. I, I've always been really, that's why I'm so good at the computer stuff. But again, I don't know if that's something that was genetically in me somehow, or whether this is something that I've learned just through life. My, my mom was a high school science teacher. I don't know how much that had impact on things. Mm. Like, that's, uh, I don't know. That's uh, that's fascinating because a couple of things I'm going to mention in there is first of all, you learn programming at ten. You're not Indian. That's weird for me. And I knew in year eight that I wanted to be a computer engineer. Now I don't actually at the time I didn't really know what a computer engineer meant. I suppose <laughs> I, I would say, but whatever I was doing, I was looking forward to that that class, mm. and I knew that that there was something there and. Um, um, so anyway, I, I I always got told that I was technical in nature, and I didn't realize until I swear to God, I, I didn't realize until I want to say eight years ago when I was having uh, drinks with a friend of mine when I had my restaurant, and I was like trying to solve a problem, and he uh, runs. Uh, Australia's uh, largest uh, rock climbing gym. Uh, it's all over right now. Like in, it's now in North Queensland, above all places. Uh, urban climb and and anyway, he we were having drinks and I was and I was trying to solve a problem and he's like, Ronsi, do you think you're creative?" And I'm like, "No, I'm a technical person. Like I've you know like I've I've done a master's. In, I've done a master's in software engineering. Like you know I'm I'm not creative." And he's like, "That's really interesting because right now you're sitting here, this." 
people that are in your restaurant that would never experience that kind of food that you've created, you've created from scratch, you know, you were not actually a chef when you started off. There are people serving them that food. You're getting paid for it while you're sitting here having a drink with me and you think you're not creative. And that opened like ridiculous floodgates for me. Mm. And uh, so I feel like the nurture part is so important to the nature that uh, it could influence a whole bunch of things, including because I was bullied as a kid. I was bullied the other way. I was bullied as the fat kid. And for me, it was like, well, if I'm the fat kid, I'm going to be in all the sports teams. I'm going to be in all the debate teams. I'm going to be in all the uh, general knowledge, the elocution, whatever I could get my hands on, I was in all of that. But what that helped me do now, if I, in retrospect, is like, I can do anything. Like I can, like literally can do, like I can, I can put my hands in any, I'm a generalist. So yeah. I, um, I feel like there's, there's this, the nurture is so important to someone, someone's nature mm. because that can go both ways. And I feel that that's where the balance probably is. I don't know. What do you think? No, I, 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 you're definitely right. I mean, we can be genetically, just because you might be genetically predisposed to be great at sports, uh, if you're not, if you don't go in and actually build on that, I think, I think, I think where genetics comes in is that we might genetically be predisposed to be good at certain things, but it's up to us to nurture that talent, to do things with it, to to practice, to build the muscle. Um, but it, it, I think there is, there's, there's value in people getting clear on what are they, if it's genetics or whatever, but what are they naturally better at, and not try and go, oh you know, it's so easy for that person. I'm going to try and be like them. But it's like, well, no, they have an unfair genetic advantage. They just, for whatever reason, they are able to pick that up faster. They're able to do those moves or they're able to, it just, it just, it's easier for them. Mm. It doesn't mean it's not impossible for you, but don't compare. It goes back to that comparison idea. We, we shouldn't compare ourselves to other people because yeah. we're all running our own race. We're all on our own journey, doing our own thing. And it's interesting the the you mentioned something there about being a generalist. That was another takeaway I took from Brad Sugars. He has a book called Billionaire in Training. That yeah. book had a huge impact on me. And it's all about basically understanding the difference between you know people have said to me that you know Carl you think far more like an entrepreneur. You know a lot of people use the word entrepreneur but it's like you think far more like an entrepreneur who's someone who looks at business as a product rather than as a job. Sure. And, and and a lot of that, I think, came from what I learned in that book and, and from Brad. And one of the things he says is a true entrepreneur, you want to be a generalist, right? You, to be to be really good as an entrepreneur, which is interesting because uh, in a lot of world and in the marketing world, you want to be a specialist. Mm. You know, if you set up a business, you want your business to be a specialist at what you do. Mm. However, as the entrepreneur, as the CEO, as the person who's going to truly be this entrepreneurial figure, you want to be a generalist because you want to know enough about a lot of things so that you can then hire the specialists to work for you to do those other parts. And I think there's a lot of value in that is because when, you, when you're more like you and you know lots of little things about lots of stuff, you know who's, you know, lying to you, you know who knows what they're talking about. It gives you a bullshit meter, really, to decide who you're going to hire. And it gives you value of when you're talking to these people that they're not speaking over your head. 
you don't need to be a master in it, but you know enough to ask the right question. I say this to my parents, actually. We, you know, they come to me and ask about financial advice sometimes, and they work with different financial advisors. And the thing I always tell my mom in particular is like, you need to learn enough about finances so that you can ask the right questions. If you're going blindly into a financial planning firm uh, or a financial advisor, and you're just letting them tell you what to do, yeah. then you're, you're crazy. Like That's just insane. You need to know enough to be able to ask the questions. I mean, I do that with my accountant. There are times that I've asked a question to my accountant and I'm frustrated that they didn't suggest it to me. Yeah. But had I not known to ask that question, there are certain strategies we're using that probably I wouldn't be using had I not asked the question. Sure. And so you've got to, I, I, I think being a generalist is a great asset, but you need to understand for others listening who see themselves as generalists, you need to understand that to succeed in business, sadly, it's hard for us as generalists because you're good at lots of things, but you've got to have a specialist deliverable, mm. but know that your general skills is, is useful on the longer game. Yeah, well, I mean, and, and that's the thing, like the niche, the, 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 the niching that uh, that every business needs to focus on and not kind of say, I want to spread my net out and get everyone as I possibly can. And that, that's what the message defers. And, and I know exactly what you're talking about uh, because... Um, Again, that's something that I think for new clients coming into Amplify, I struggle with the most is kind of getting them to not be literal about a lot of things. You know, they kind of, uh, kind of also come in with the idea that usually they come in with the idea like I already want to create a podcast, but and I and I already want to do it on this topic because I know that this is gonna you know be cool or it's either it depends on where the angle uh, of uh, podcast knowledge has been placed from, and. Mm. Um, and and that part of kind of going, well, what exactly are you trying to achieve? And where do you want to go with it? And is the only ROI that you can possibly get through money? And, and kind of asking these questions, you know, allow them to kind of think of it differently. And I see that happen a lot. But they are generalists like us trying to find their way through the specific medium that someone has told them will return on investment. So um, I totally understand where you're going. I Before we wind this up, I would really want to talk about what you mentioned earlier about uh, Brad Sugars and at 20 and uh, business running without you because I believe that that is your essence. I feel like uh, that had such an impact on you that I feel like everything you do going forward will be around making sure that businesses operate without your automation agencies. Definitely one of them, not only from your point of view, but also from us as uh, clients using automation agencies is to allow parts of our business to function without us. Mm. When did you realize that? When did you kind of go, well, I'm kind of doing all this stuff without me or I'm building all this stuff for people without me? Um, it, to be honest, it's probably been more recent that it's, you know, the, the BFO, the blinding flash of obvious of like, oh, like it's been a journey along the way. The first time that I had a business that worked semi without me was my IT business. Yeah. We sold that in 2011. I think it was around, well, I bought a gift basket business in 2008. So to, actually, it was late 2007. I, I agreed to go to a, a conference. My first time leaving the country, I went to the US and went to an entrepreneur's masterclass in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up doing a round the world trip uh, six weeks with my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. And so... I put a lot of effort into building systems and making sure our new team members were trained so that I could go away for six weeks and the business wouldn't die. Yeah. And, you know, there were problems, don't you, as with all things, it didn't yeah. run smoothly. Yeah. Uh, but 
six weeks went by, I came back and the business didn't really need me as much anymore. Things were, yeah, there were little things we had to iron out, but in general, most things worked and Carl wasn't required. And so that meant I had time on my hands, which is why I then went and bought another business. And you know, that's a story for another day. But that was probably the first time when I, I realized the opportunity of when you can build a business that works without you, that it gives you time, it gives you flexibility, it gives you choice. But, you know, that didn't last. That was 2008. We continued to have the business till 2011. And from there, you know, we went from five staff back down to two and up again. And just it was a you know roller coaster as business is. But after Bold Echidna, we went into well, I personally lost my identity, actually. Interesting. Yeah. Because I'd been a techie person for so long and had the IT business for eight years. Yeah. I lost who I was. I'd written a book in 2010 and that's part of why we sold the business because I was over IT. I was over being seen as the geeky kid that I was in high school. Mm. This was the conversation in my head. I would go still sometimes to our clients' sites, their offices, and they would just see me as the IT guy here to fix some stuff. Mm. And in my head, like I'd be like, don't you know I'm a big important business person? I've written a book and blah, you know, I speak, right? And it didn't help probably that I was also single at the time and usually I was meeting with these very attractive office girls. And so again, I'm like, I'm feeling like I'm lower value in their eyes than I actually feel I am in my head. Yeah. So that that was my internal dialogue that isn't the only reason, but definitely added to why I wanted to get out of the IT business. Sure. But after that, I just, I was so lost and I tried heaps of different things, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Was I going to be a coach? Was I going to do this? I tried life coaching. I tried, I think about four years of just floundering around, trying things, living off the money from my IT business. Mm. And it wasn't until I had five grand left in the bank from all the IT uh, business money that it was like, oh, I actually need to make this happen. I need to do something. And that was around the time that I, I launched Automation Agency. And when I started automation, I'd forgotten. I was I was in hungry mode. And I, I've learned this distinction now of I was in just like, I need money, I need cash. So I built a business forgetting all about the idea of building a business that could work without me. Uh, I had, there was a little bit there because I was at least, I picked names and things that I could maybe sell. But my business model required Carl. It was very hands-on Carl. It was consulting. It was, I was writing copy for clients. I was doing strategy calls. I was giving them advice. I was, I was very hands-on in the business. And I had a small team. I eventually got to a point where I was like, cash flow was up and down. We had good months and then we'd have months where there was nothing. Mm. And so I was like, I need something recurring. Yes. That was my first thought. And then the next thing was like, and I've just got myself a job. Like I used to teach people and I, I, I used to teach people about buying and selling businesses. I could never sell this business. What am I doing? And so with the idea of I need recurring and I need a business that I could sell one day, the answer was immediately clear. I need to look at how do I remove me from this process? How do I take me out of this business? And that then turned into the business model we have now. Mm. But it wasn't until that was back in 2014, 15, 14. Mm -hmm. It's probably only been in the last six to eight months that I've kind of realized that I have a business that works without me. I have the freedom of choice and the flexibility that I have consciously always looked at how do I remove me from this process? I think I was subconsciously doing it without consciously being aware of it. Does sure. that make sense? Totally. I, I mean, that's what I said to you. Like, I think it's it's such a embedded value that there's such a moment of pivot uh, in your in your entrepreneur journey that it's kind of sort of embedded itself uh, into the things that you do. Because uh, when we were talking a couple of days ago, I'm like, uh, that's really interesting. And I don't know whether Carl sees automation agency as 
a service that actually allows other people to remove themselves from their business. I wonder whether he sees that because I know that you're writing the next book uh, and I know that uh, it's all about how to remove yourself from the business. And I feel like everything you do and everything you talk about and however you sort of conceptualize new ideas and thoughts at this certain point uh, is is all about um, autonomy, I feel. Mm. I, I, I like to think of it as the power to choose. You know, uh, someone asked me, well, how do you define, you know, freedom? It's like, oh, I do everything because I'm looking for freedom. Someone asked, well, what exactly is freedom? I said, I think it's the power to choose. Yep. The, the, the fact that I can wake up and choose how I choose to spend my time today, yep. that is the power to choose. And that comes from business freedom. It comes from financial freedom. It comes from emotional freedom. Really, when say people say they want freedom, what they're saying, they want choice. That's my view. And, and, and you're right. But our mission for Automation Agency actually is our core sweet spot. We do the genius model as our mission map. Yeah. And the sweet spot is to release business owners from all the hard stuff in their business. So that is kind of our core driving thing. We're constantly looking at how do we release business owners from various parts of their business. And at the moment we focus on online marketing, but who knows where we might go in the future, right? Yeah, yeah. And I I feel that that's your kind of intersection where you can flourish and you can do whatever uh, on that because you can really geek out on that. Carl, this has been awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, carltaylor.com.au if you want to go and see a really old picture of Carl uh, smiling <laughs> yeah. on there and access to a, a really cool lead magnet uh, about the 24 uh, subject lines that got opened, uh, if I'm correct. Yeah. Carl, you know, the, 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 the best thing about our conversations is that I remember when we had our first one in, in Sydney and it, it was supposed to be an hour conversation that landed up becoming four and a half hours or something. Yeah. We can geek out of each other's uh, thoughts and ideas. And, and, you know, that's why I love podcasting. That's why for me, I know that these kind of conversations is what keeps me going. And I'm also pretty privileged to get to this point where the biggest value I bring my business is having these conversations, which I totally geek out on. Mate, as, as as always, it's a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I can't I can't wait for the book because I feel like a lot of business owners initially get into business to get freedom, uh, but they almost buy themselves this uh, ball and chain, and mm-hmm. uh, they're told a whole bunch of narratives that actually stop them from achieving what they set out to do. And I have no doubt it's going to be a success because I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it from, from now on. And, and I feel like uh, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty awesome. So um, thanks man. Thanks for this conversation and um, we'll catch each other soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've always loved our conversations and uh, you never know where they're going to go, which is one of the things I love most about it. So thanks for your time. It's great to be here. You've been listening to The Carl Taylor Show, and I'm so grateful that you're here right now. Now, if you've liked this episode and would like to hear more from me, then there's two simple actions to take right now. Step one, click subscribe on whatever device you're listening to this on right now so that you can get notified about future episodes. So go on, do it right now. Find that subscribe button and click it. Step two, now that you've done that, is visit me over at carltaylor.com. On the website there, you'll be able to find the show notes from today's episode, as well as all the previous episodes, plus details on how to get copies of my books, details on how to get in contact with me, and so much more. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart that I'm so grateful that you are here. It's an absolute honor to be a part of your journey. And until next time, just be happy, be healthy, be fulfilled, but most importantly, be awesome.